Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good evening everyone, it's lovely to be together. There's a lot on the go with Life Changes Church and we're so excited for what lies ahead of us with this fast and with what else God has for us this week ahead. But my name is Gabe Phillips, as Mark has mentioned a couple of times. Privileged to preach this, more, this evening. And this evening, uh, with the time allotted to me, I want to do a simple task. I want to preach on a verse that is so well known to Christendom and the church. It's one verse. Some of you are like, yo, we'll be out of here in five minutes. Ah, you haven't heard me preach before. Anyway, um, but one verse. And if, if you haven't heard a sermon on it, you would have definitely maybe spotted it, embroidered on one of your granny's uh, pillowcases at her house. Or at the very least, you would have definitely seen this at the back of a taxi as they cut you off in traffic. And you would have said, God bless you. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and the scripture will be behind me. But this is from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's so short. I'm going to read it a second time. It says this. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray this evening. Father, as we gather now after singing songs of worship to you, opening our hearts afresh to you as we hear the exciting things that you're leading us into as a community, I pray for this moment right now that tonight, God, that as we get to work with your word, would we find that your word is getting to work with us. I pray, Father, where we need challenge, where we need courage, or whether we need comfort, I pray, God, would your word work in every single heart here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Massive privilege to be able to preach. But uh, as I read that verse, uh, we can leave that verse up if it's possible um, from the back there, Wes. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we did a straw poll quickly and we had to say, what is your favorite part of that verse? I would be, I think, uh, if I'm honest, and I think if we were all honest, we would all say, our favorite part is the part of the end that says, all these things will be added to you. Who wants all these things? When Jesus says all these things, on the back of him preaching, Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus preaching about, um, don't worry about where you'll live, don't worry what you'll eat, don't worry about your clothes, about your food and your drink. He's saying, he's saying don't worry about these things. He gets to the pinnacle of this Sermon of the Mount. He says, and all these things will be added to you. I'm the guy who underlines all these things and says, Jesus, I'm in for all these things. I don't know about you. Am I the only sinful person here that goes all these things? Thank you for saying amen to that, Mark. All of you are either really godly people or liars, but uh, we'll go with liars at this moment. But this, all these things, because I don't know about you, but I have this, this appetite in my heart that when it seems like all these things are being added to my life, I'm doing good. When, when the, it's the payday is coming, money's in the bank, I'm doing good. I'm happy. It's like, hey, this is going to be a good month. When the family are healthy and they're doing well, I, I'm, all these things are being added, I feel like I'm moving forward. When, when work is going well, it feels like I'm moving forward. When Liverpool is still top of the log at this late in the season, I'm moving forward. All these things are being added to my life. It feels that way. What does this actually mean? I want to tell you firstly, before we get anywhere else with the scripture, that when it says all these things will be added to you, I want to tell you that God promises that he'll be your provider. I love that in that scripture. I'm not trying to gloss over this. I think this is a profound thing. When he says all these things will be added to you, he is actually saying that I will supply all your needs. So much so that in early part of scripture, in the Old Testament, God used to self-disclose himself to Israelites by this name, Jehovah Jireh. 
He says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That is who he is. It's in his character and his nature. He reveals himself again and again as a father who provides. Not as a butler who answers our beck and call. Not as a taskmaster who drives us with a whip. No, but as a father who says, I want to add all these things. This should get us excited. This should get you stirred in your heart that actually tonight God is wanting to say, I want to add all these things to your life. Good things. He wants to provide for you. The problem is, this evening, as I read that scripture, that all these things is not the first all in the verse. That's the problem this, this evening. And I want to suggest to you that actually it's not a problem, but actually it's an invitation for something that God wants to do with us, especially this week as we lean into a fast together. What I'm meaning by that is that there is a promise for provision, for miracles, for breakthrough in this verse. But actually as we see the promise for provision, miracles, and breakthrough, and all these things to be added there's actually a priority that precedes the provision. There's actually a, a, a decision to be made before we see God's hand unleashed in our lives. So I want to help us this evening that if we want to see all these things, we need to understand what comes first. Is that all right? Everyone nod to me this evening. Give me a wave, smile and wave, boys. Thank you very much, everyone. It's good to be together. Three things very simply and uh, quickly this evening from this text that I see that leap out of me Number one, as I read this text, I realize that Jesus is giving us and pushing us to a new priority. A new priority. The verse starts off by saying, above all else. The first all that precedes the, all these things is above all else. And I don't know about you, but for me, my heart often leaps into different directions. If I say, what is the above all else? The thing that's top of mind, the thing that motivates my desires, that pushes me onwards in life, that gives me joy. Often the above all else in my life is, above all else Bring on payday. Thank you. Some one honest person. Because especially this time in January, 16th of December was a long time ago. Two-minute noodles are coming out, and the butter's getting really, really thin on the toast at this time. And I'm going, above all else, make it through to payday. Or maybe for you, you've bought into this thing. Above all else, keep the spouse happy. Because they've told me happy wife equals happy life. It's not biblical, but it could almost be up there. Or the above all else in your life. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's as virgin active preached to us at this time of year. Get above all else, get healthy. Get your discovery age down to the appropriate age limit. Some of you, that's a word, it's a prophetic word. I don't know who is here. I don't know what your above all else is, but actually as we find in this passage, the scripture, Jesus is saying above all else, he's giving them a new above all else. And, he's, and this is tacking on at the back, of, back end of a sermon that's been preaching about Jesus preaching about worry, about where people are going to find their food, where they're going to find their drink, where they're going to find their, their living space, their futures. He's saying, actually, above all else, I'm giving you a new priority, a new priority that needs to come and supersede the old ones in your life. And actually, Jesus is saying to an anxious and distracted people in the scriptures, but I believe he's saying this to an anxious and distracted people here today. He's saying, actually, I need you to fix your focus. I need you to fix your focus. What I mean by that is that Jesus is actually in this scripture is directing us to the principle of first. It's something you'll see in scripture. The principle of first is something that you'll see in life. I want to say this is that what you give your attention or focus to first will determine whether you will last. That was so good and so tweetable. I need to say it again. What you give your attention or focus to first will determine whether you will last. What I mean by that. Other stories tell us this. It says that what you worry about shows me what you are worshiping. 
another theologian said it even better. He said, what you worry about shows me where you think your provision is coming from. What, what are you worrying? What is your above all else that you think, if I just get that, then I'll be happy. If I just get that, then I'll be peaceful. If I just get that, then I'll feel clean and, and, and better in life. Better about myself. What you worry about shows me what you are th- worshiping or where you think your provision is coming from. Let's, let's do a litmus test here. Let's just get real, really real this evening. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? The first thing. Tell your kids to be quiet. It's a good one. Press snooze sometimes. But, but potentially for you, maybe it's first thing you wake up, there's anxiety in your head about the day ahead. There's anxiety about the, what, what, what the bosses, the list of what you need to get done, the list of the, what the boss's expectations, and, and you're starting to rack your brain and work out the budget in your head for the day ahead. If anxiety is gripping you, can I tell you what Jesus would say this moment? Fix your focus. Maybe the first thing you do in the, in, in the morning is you pick up your phone and you just start flicking. Before you even open your eyes, you're flicking through the social media feed. Can I tell you what Jesus would say to you right now? He would say, fix your focus. Maybe the first thing that you do in the morning is you think of your kids, you think of your money, you think of your depression, you think of your loneliness. I want to tell you this evening, Jesus would say to you, fix your focus. Because um, uh, about a year ago, my family, we were treated to this incredible holiday in Mauritius. Something that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And as a, as a redhead with a very pale body, this was going to be incredible. Factor 50 up, and, and we're going to go to the white beaches with palm trees. This is postcard stuff. And as I stood on the beach, I, I, I remember getting there saying, this is so, so too good to be true. I need, a, I need a document. So I did what every millennial would do. I took photos. You know, that's what we do. We take photos. And I started to snap pics. And I, and I remember this moment that at the end of the day, as I got to the end of the day of this incredible day, this incredible moment with my family on the beach in this tropical paradise, I pushed it one step further. I started to go through my photos to see which ones I should put up on Instagram. Really deep, eh? It's a really spiritual man that I am. And, and I remember, maybe I'm the only guy who does this, but I remember flicking through it, and there was about 20, 30 photos there, but I had to find the, just the right one to put on Instagram so everyone would like my photo and go, wow, how blessed you are. Hashtag, too blessed to be stressed. Gabe Phillips, no? And as I remember going through and flicking them, I was like, oh, why is Olivia crying in that photo? Oh, why is that person in the background? Why does my left eye always do that in that photo? You know, and as I started to flick through the photos trying to find the, just the right photo, I remember as I found the right photo that was going to go on Instagram, I remember as you get it, you start to do this phenomenal thing. It's called cropping. Have you ever seen it? You, know, you start zooming in and you're cutting out all the people in the background. You want to make it look like you're the only person on the beach. You want people to go, this is amazing. How rich is this guy? That's what I was going for, you know? But you see, the, the whole understanding of what I'm trying to get at here is that actually, I think so often we are allowing things into our frame of life that are crowding in on the purposes of God. And I want to ask you, what are you allowing in, the, in your frame of life? What are you allowing? We spend so much time on Instagram getting the photo just right. And uh, this is not a, a vouch for Instagram or social media. But actually, I think so often what we do on Instagram, God is saying we need to be doing in our real life. That actually we get to choose what we put in our frame doesn't mean the, 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 the obese, very, very untanned Englishmen on the left of my photo weren't there. No, they were very much on the beach with us. But I chose not to put them in my picture. I tell you, was, was, that, was that rubbish bit in the top right corner not there? No, it was there. I just chose not to allow it into my frame of reference. I want to say that God, Jesus would say to you and I, it doesn't mean that the, the money issue in your life is not there. 
doesn't mean the stress and anxiety levels in your life are not there. No, but Jesus is saying, above all else, you need, a new, you need to fix your focus. Fix your focus. Start bringing it. What is God calling me to fix my eyes on above all else? You see, as I was reading this again this week, I realized that, you know, as Christ follows, we are supposed to be the freest people on planet Earth. The freest, most joyful people on planet Earth. That no matter whatever would come our way, we, we are untouchable. No matter what circumstance, no matter what headline, no matter what the boss is, that our joy is secure. Uh, what else got, got me thinking about a man named the Apostle Paul in the, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. This incredible guy, you could not touch him. You could not touch Paul. This is a guy who was just so incredible, so a man who had this incredible focus on what God had called him to do. He had this resolute nature inside of him that actually he was, as he was preaching the gospel, the people would get so riled up and the, the opposition to the gospel didn't like it. So they'll come and say, Paul, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to beat you. And I can imagine Paul go, would you? Because I, I, I consider it a great joy to be counted worthy of suffering for the name. Please bring on the beatings. They're like, oh, no, no, you're a bit strange. So actually, no, no, we're going to imprison you then. Would you? Then I can preach to your gods. They'll be, un- what an opportunity. What an opportunity to go and preach to Romans and Trent. Wow. They go, no, no, actually, we're going to leave you alone and leave you in isolation. He goes, ah, to live is Christ. No, no, they will kill you. To die is gain. You couldn't touch this guy. Why? Because here's a guy in Philippians 3 who wrote, this one thing I do. This one thing I do, I want to say to you, sir, ma'am, there are millions of things we can give our attention to, a hundred things we give our focus to. But in this scripture, Jesus says, above all else, fix your focus. Fix your focus. Choose what you allow in your frame. Choose this thing that actually God is going to, I'm going to be resolute about what Jesus called me to do. You see, what I'm trying to say here is I'm not talking about a new order of priorities. Not saying, hey, come on, New Year's, put God at the top. Family second, kids third, work fourth. You know, I'm not saying reorder your priorities. I'm saying place one above every single thing else in your life. That actually is one thing above everything else that comes, that filters into every single lane of my life is that there's one thing I do above all else is put him first. You see, this is the massive thing for me because this is what unbelievers will question. They'll ask us, why are you stressed? And why, are you, why have you got peace in the stressful moment? Why are you not stressed with economic recession? Why are you not stressed with petrol prices going up? Why are you not stressed with work cutbacks? Why are you not stressed with tough health moments? Why are you not freaking out and falling apart? Why? Because I've got a different above all else. The world will fall apart because their above all else is as long as the nation still stands. The, the other one above all else is as long as my relationships are going right. But we are a different people. We are people with a superior above all else. Our emotions, our futures are dictated not by the way the nation goes, not by the way the bills are written, not by the economy, not by our relationships. Our futures are dictated by, above all else, seek first Him. I want to say in this scripture, Jesus is saying there's a new priority. I've got a different focus, and above all else, that frees me from worry. Secondly, this evening from this text, I see number one, there's a new priority. Secondly, I see that there's a new pursuit. Something Mark touched on a little bit earlier. The scripture goes on and says, above all else, Seek. Seek. Now, I want to tell you this, that Jesus didn't get up and say, above all else, go to church and listen to somebody preach. And yet that's what the majority of Christendom do. That's the height of their Christianity, is that once a week I'll go and I'll hear someone else preach to me, and then I'll drag my way through the week, and then I hope one next I can make it back next week to a little bit of a top-up. That's the lowest form of Christianity. 
Church is wonderful. But if that's the highest point, you are in trouble, sermon. Because actually, this is what he said. He said, above all else, you seek me. He puts the onus not on a corporate people, but on individuals taking responsibility for their own faith to walk with Jesus. You know, and I love this, this understanding. As I read it, I started to write in my notes that this is not a dead, passionless thing. He didn't say, above all else, you know, come and just be uniformed in line. Come get ready and just, you know, I'll give you the rations for the day. No, no, no. He says, above all else, come seek me because I'm a father who wants to provide for you. And this is a, a, a wild, passionful thing. And there's a quote by C.S. Lewis who says this, the problem is not that your de- desires are too strong, but rather that they are too weak. Not that your desires are too strong, but rather your desires are too weak. What is he meaning by that? For too long, my Christianity was determined by me trying to suppress my desires. Anger, suppress it. Lust, suppress it. Greed, suppress it. And too, many Christian, too much of people's Christianity is suppressing their desires rather than unleashing them in the right way. We were made for passionate seeking, release our emotions, but on the right place towards Him. He is a joy-filled King who's inviting you and I to seek after Him. You see, they, they often say this word that actually too many Christians, I see it in my own heart way too often, do, we actually we proclaim Christ, but we live as functional atheists. We speak Christ. We say, we say the things. We know the right songs. We know, we know the right moments. We actually lift our hands because we know I raise the hallelujah. The hands go up at that moment because we know church. But then actually our lives don't look like things that are people who are seeking after him. That's what I call functional atheism. atheism. And you see, the curse of humanity is actually this, that we live for all our days seeking fortune, seeking fame. But in eternity, none of heaven knows our name. I think that's the problem. We're on this hamster wheel too often of wrestling with other lesser pleasures, keeping trying to keep the bills at bay, but actually eternity is calling us into greater stories. Eternity is calling us further. And actually I want to say strongly to my own passive heart that always tends to lukewarm living. This is me preaching to myself that in eternity, Jesus will not congratulate you or me on our comfortable retirement package. Well done. You saved up well and your last 20 years were wonderful. You did so well. Now, retirement is wonderful. Saving up for retirement, great. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But actually, John Piper tells a story in a book called Don't Waste Your Life, which I got given when I was 21. If somebody gives you a book saying, don't waste your life, I'm like, wow, what do you think I'm doing with it? Anyway, that's an aside. But the book was so profound, it actually tells a story about a couple who came and said, Pastor, can you pray for us? We saved up for retirement. We're going to go spend the next 20 years of our lives on a, on a cruise around the world collecting shells. Can you pray for us? And he thought, what horror filled his heart. Horror filled his heart because he said, can you imagine eternity getting before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and saying, look at our shell collection. And we laugh, but I know my own heart is not that far away. I know my passive heart always tends to the couch, always tends to laziness, always tends to apathy, always tends to lukewarm. Don't be too extreme. When actually Jesus is demanding something greater, A.W. Tozer says this, throw down the lure of white picket fence Christianity and pick up the danger-encircled path of obedience. (sighs) Quote A.W. Tozer, you ready to go? Basically, just read that quote. He said this, throw down the lure of white picket fence Christianity and pick up the danger-encircled path of obedience. The world is warring against us. 
the world. This, we're not in a neutral zone. This is wartime language Jesus is using. This is not some neutral language. Like, if you've got time, maybe come seek me, please. No, no, this is saying there's new priorities and a new pursuit. And he's saying that actually everything on this world, if you read the preceding scriptures, everything in this world is moving towards the rubbish dump. Everything. You get a new car, you drive it out, it depreciates in a second. You get the iPhone 10, you're excited, then you, get, then you realize iPhone 11 might be coming up very soon. Depending on what Tim Cook's got for us. But you know, everything is moving to the rubbish dump. Nothing is, nothing is getting better, everything is getting older. Even yourself, you are closer to death than when you first arrived. Yeah, let that hit you. Bam. <laughs> Welcome to Sunday night. But I want to say, don't waste your life on collecting, on hoarding, and winning people's praise because the people who applaud you today will boo you tomorrow. They did it to Jesus. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they said of Jesus one day. Turn the page. It's the same crowd who's saying crucify him. You spend all your time worrying about what that person thinks of you, who's liking your social media feed. What is the, the, your employer saying? What are the people saying? What's the family saying about you? When actually it's not what they say, it's what he says. What his voice is declaring over your life. I want to say lay hold of him. You will not be satisfied with anything else. Can I wreck you right now? For the rest of your life, if you do not lay hold of Christ, you will never be fully satisfied. You'll never be fully satisfied. You'll try. But here's the greatest news is that actually Jesus is not hiding from us. He's hiding for us to find him. Jesus is hiding for us, not from us. It's, it's the understanding of God. And it's a poor metaphor. But with my little girl, Olivia Grace, we play hide and seek. She calls it hiding. Hiding. One day she'll know what a real hiding is. But anyway... But we play hiding, and she, she'll go behind the curtain, and she'll hide. And when I find her, then she'll say, Dada, hiding. And then I'll have to go and hide. Now, let me tell you, the goal of that game is not for me to find the most amazing hiding place in between the sheets on the top cupboard, where she'll never find me. That is cruelty at the highest level, and actually, there's no joy in it for me. The joy for me as a dad is when she comes around the couch and screams in the light, Dada! Because she's found me. That's our Heavenly Father. He calls you, will you come and seek me? Not in a cruel way, not because he's withholding, but because he says, there is joy and pleasure in the pursuit of me. Jesus is saying in the scripture, there's a new priority, there's a new pursuit, and finally this evening is our land. And this is something that for a long time I didn't understand until it leapt out of me recently. There's a new understanding of the person of Jesus in the scripture. Priority, pursuit, person, what I mean by that is Jesus says this. He said, above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now you see, I want to tell you, the scripture doesn't say, seek the kingdom of God and your righteousness. It doesn't give us a new moralistic way of becoming a better person. This is not Jesus beating his chest saying, be better people, come on. Be better Christians. He's not ramming home, make the promise and keep the promise. Actually, he's pointing us to a different set of righteousness, not our own, but somebody else's. Now, let me tell you what I'm trying to get at here is that this is actually the pinnacle of a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is not giving a new moral standard of living. He's not giving a, a, new, a new code to live up to. He's actually raising the bar so high that will drive us to run to a Savior. So much so that actually Matthew 5 starts like this. If you want to argue with me, let me bring it into plain reality. He says this. He says to a Jewish audience, he says to them, 
of peasants or fishermen alike, you, very normal, ordinary people, says, guys here, if your righteousness does not supersede that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I can imagine that was Jesus, one of his opening lines in the text. They probably all have gone, oh, highbo. Probably not that word. This is a paraphrase. But, but they would have been in shock and in dismay. Why? The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the spiritual rock stars of the day. If in, that, in that reality, they were the guys that you dreamt you'd be like. Those guys are so holy. They're the holiest of guys on planet earth. They're the closest we'll ever get to God is those guys, those superstars. And Jesus is saying to, the, to ordinary folk like you and I, saying, if your righteousness does not, is not better than those guys, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is doing, if you go read this text, is actually he's raising the bar higher and higher and higher until we go, impossible. Who can do that? Jesus goes, glad you asked. There's only one, and I'm the one. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who can reach that standard. I'm the only one who can maintain that standard. I'm the only one who holds that standard. And actually, the greatest news of all is Jesus is actually in this text is saying, declaring loudly over our lives, no one is righteous. Welcome to church tonight. This would not be a popular thing to say to your neighbor, but this is good. None of you are righteous. Not one. Apart from Jesus. This is the greatest news, is that actually, that the quicker we can, we can admit that we fall short, the quicker we can run to find Him in grace. The quicker we realize our own weakness, the quicker we find His strength. And this is what Jesus is pointing to. As I land, I tell this story. It's a, a quirky story from years ago that gripped my heart about a a, a London art collector. And he was a man who was, who was famous in the, in the, in the London, London community for having priceless art in his collection. He had spent all his money and all his days getting all this artwork together of the masters, of the, of the great masterpieces lining his hallways. But when he died, there came a rumor that actually he was going to have, his family going to have an auction to sell off these paintings. They didn't want to have to keep them. So the art collectors of the day all jostled in position. They wanted to be at this auction. And as they arrived at this auction, on the, on the day that was ascribed to them, they're so excited as they, they started, all the people with the velvet gloves brought all the paintings out parading before them. And the art collectors were going, oh, this is going to be a field day. We're going we're to get some of the most priceless art. And as the executive of the will stood up and said, before we begin with this auction, uh, there's just a proviso in the will that actually we have to begin with this, the first personal painting that his son, whose four-year-old son did, it's a self-portrait of his four-year-old son, and it's a bit of a scraggly one, but, but it meant a lot to the family. Can we get this one out the way? And they brought this little painting out to the front. And all the art colleagues are standing their hands going, this is weird. Just get, get to the good stuff. Get to the good stuff. Move that one. Bring out the other paintings. And as, as it was awkward and quiet, I said, we'll start the bidding at five pounds. The, one of the, the employees of, the, of, of the, 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 the guy who had died said, actually, you know what? I recognize the value of that because it's sentimental. I was a part of this family. I knew the boy. I knew the family. I'll pay the five pounds. He said, cool, sold to the man in the front row. Guys are good. Let's get on to the good stuff. And then the executive of the will kept reading and said, actually, the auction is over because there's another proviso in the will that actually said, whoever buys my son gets it all. Maybe a trite, silly story. But there's something that's gripped my heart that actually in this story is that, who, is that when you know Jesus as you're above all else, You'll find him to be all these things. I don't know what leapt into your mind when I said all these things will be added. You started going with your shopping list. I would love those things. I tell you, when you reorient your priority and your pursuit around Jesus Christ, you realize that he alone 
is more than you could ever have asked for, dreamed, or imagined. That actually Christ is our healer. That Christ is our deliverer. Christ is our joy. Christ is our peace. Christ is our righteousness. That we become the freest people because we get unhinged from stuff as we see him for who he truly is. This evening, if I call the band up, please, we're going to have communion together. Is that I know in this room there are many people here who are desperately needing financial breakthrough. I know that. That in this room, there are people whose hearts are really painful right now and desperate for healing. There's people here who have been fighting health battles for a long time and praying, God, would you heal me? Or addiction, saying, God, would you deliver me? I know there are those prayers going up here and they are good prayers to pray. But can I be honest, this afternoon as I prepared for tonight, I had one prayer. That you would know him. That you would know Jesus. That you would know Jesus. That you would know Jesus. That you would know Jesus above all else. Above all else, you would find Christ to be the pleasure and the joy and the pursuit of your life. That is my one prayer for us in this evening. Because I want to tell you there's a priority before our provision. There's a mountain before our miracle. There's a pursuit before our breakthrough. And his name is Jesus. I don't know about you, but as, as I drive to church most weeks, I have a CD in my car that's been there for a long time. It's a Matt Redmond CD from back in the day. And there's this one song that I play most weeks on my way to church. And it's a song with a simple catchphrase, God speaking, let my people go. And as I drove here again, no different to any Sunday, in my heart I heard the cry of God saying, let my people go. As Moses declared to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go from lesser pursuits. Let my people go from lesser pleasures. Let my people go from lesser delights, lesser agendas in their lives. Would we be a people who are so wrecked for the one, for Jesus Christ? Would we be a people whose hearts say we'll give everything away as long as we can have him? Would we be a people who stumble on the treasure, go away and buy the field so that we could have lay claim to that treasure? Could we be a people who see the pearl of great price and say there's nothing that I will not give away for him and realize that actually everything is from him, everything is for him, and everything is to him, that Christ alone should hold our attention? So I'm, I'm a simple man, but I found a profound king who loves me, who knows me, provides for me. And I want to tell you tonight, would you lay hold of him? Because he's laid a hold of you completely when he died on the cross for us. Can we stand to our feet? Before we have communion, can you close your eyes? I'd love to read a psalm over us has been on the cry of my heart this week for us as a people. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. I'm going to invite us at this moment. We're going to take communion together. Um, So if you want to come out of your seats, we've got communion emblems up front to my left and my right. We've got it at the back as well. Why don't you do that? Find your way back to your seats. And we'll land this time together.
this moment as we gather together around the Lord's table. A holy moment, not a religious moment, but a holy moment as we make much of Jesus in our midst. As we turn our eyes from lesser things, we turn our eyes from other agendas, and we say, Jesus, I'm fixing my focus. A new above all else needs to take precedence in my life. Right now, as we take communion together, can I, can I ask you, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart as you say, what is the above all else that dictates my emotions, my feelings, my joys, my peace? What are the above all else that I need to lay at His feet tonight? Allow Christ to become the superior pleasure, the superior pursuit, the superior priority in your life. As we do that, we lift Jesus up. We exalt Him over our lives. It's not us making more promises. It's us saying, Jesus, we respond to your grace afresh and fall on our knees and say, you are all we want and you will sustain us. Let's take communion together.